Welcome to the FedTech Innovator Podcast, bringing you the stories and journeys behind deep tech innovation and entrepreneurship. In each interview, we go behind the scenes with the entrepreneurs, scientists, and visionaries who are engineering the technologies of tomorrow, today. These journeys are unpredictable and full of learning, and whether you're an entrepreneur, researcher, or funder of innovation, our goal is to create a community where we can learn from each other as we all seek to change the world with technology. I'm Ben Solomon, and I'm the founder and managing partner of FedTech. Since 2015, we've been building a bridge between the R&D world and the venture world. Every year, we get to work with hundreds of companies and researchers who are changing the world through technology. In this podcast, we're going to share those stories with you from our friends and colleagues in deep tech. I'm coming to you from our headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, just across from the river from the nation's capital. All right. Well, very excited to be here with uh, Mike Grubbs from Sapphire. And um, this is a special moment for us at FedTech in that this is our first in-person uh, podcast recording. So Mike is literally sitting across the table from me. I can see his smiling face. This is a, a nice, uh, you know, we always love our virtual uh, world, but uh, in-person is awfully good too. So, hey, Mike, where, where, where are you coming in from today? Yeah, Fairfax. And thanks for having me and uh, glad to be here in person. Yeah. Well, tell me, so I was just mentioning, you know, even before we got going that, um, Heard a lot of good things about Sapphire. Heard a lot of good things about you personally. Just maybe, maybe tell us tell us the Mike story. What's been your journey getting up to going through one of our FedTech programs to start a company? Yeah, I, I have a, a unique journey and unique as in there's probably not another person on the planet that has my journey. Uh, so I started out in engineering school and then went to work on Capitol Hill and ended up going to law school. After that, coming back to D.C., working as a full-time attorney. Okay. So we're hitting where we got, we got engineering, we got, uh, policy, we got law. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just wait. It, and it, it gets a, a little more unique after that. So after law, I actually went into full-time ministry for a decade. Okay. Uh, both here in Northern Virginia and down in central Virginia. And then in 2016 made the shift back out into the marketplace, uh, becoming an entrepreneur, I ended up running a technology accelerator, uh, in Cincinnati, then moved back to DC. Uh, started coaching. What was the accelerator? Yeah, it's called Ocean Accelerator. Okay. okay. Um, high tech accelerator uh, connected with people who want to run businesses um, using biblical principles. Okay. It's is what kind of their thing is. Um, and that really connected with my story. And then came back to DC after that, uh, did some coaching, mentoring, advising with startups uh, here in the DC area. And then in February 2020, came across Fed. Are you an Ohio person originally? No, I'm originally from Mississippi. Oh, okay. I'm a Clevelander, so the Cincinnati connection, interesting. Um, uh, well, yeah, and I guess, so give us give us an overview. So obviously the company has had some really cool things happen recently. Maybe just start a little bit. Like what's the what's the product do? I know this is a timely and important product um, based on a, a lot of the devices that we are, are plugged into. So I'll leave it to you. Yeah, just, just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, thanks. So as a company... Sapphire Technology Group, we are developing better lithium ion batteries. So our core product, which is called Sapphire, uh, which is an acronym, it stands for Safe Impact Resistant Electrolyte. Uh, so our, our core product, Sapphire, has three main benefits. Number one is it prevents fire and explosion of the battery during a, during a crash or impact situation, such as an EV crash. Number two is... Um, Sapphire imparts ballistic protection at the cell level. So, for example, it will impart some structural fortification 
uh, to the battery at the cell level. And well, what does that mean? Yeah, so I'd happily get into that. So, for example, ballistic protection, it'll stop a bullet at the cell level. And then there's some interesting applications which we can get into to incorporate the battery as part of a structural element or structural fortified element of an electric vehicle, for example. Okay. And then the third main benefit of the Sapphire technology is that it, Im it improves the thermal performance of the battery in extreme hot and extreme cold environments. So, so our value proposition um, out into the marketplace is threefold. One, improve performance. Number two, lower cost of the system. And number three, uh, improved safety. I recall hearing stories about lithium, you know, lithium batteries and when they do have problems, just for folks that are unaware of like the battery market, like what's the risk around lithium ion batteries that could hypothetically exist without your, without your product? Yeah. Well, they, they exist out in the marketplace and, and, and I've seen stories, uh, new stories of exploding vehicles, uh, when they're involved in a crash, our advisor has some personal experience with some of, uh, th these events happening. And so it's, it's out there in the news, um, that these EVs, uh, specifically the batteries that were involved in a, in a crash or an impact, um, have a likelihood of going through what's, what scientists call thermal runaway, which is, is, is exactly what it sounds. It, it, a battery heats up and then it keeps heating up faster and faster and faster before it catches fire mm -hmm. or in, can, and can explode in certain situations. Wow. This is obviously, I'm like, lithium batteries are, they're everywhere, right? I mean, they're not just in our cars, they're um, in, in a lot of our devices, I imagine. They, they are in a lot of the devices. So yeah, lithium ion batteries in all, all sorts of stuff. Electric vehicles, they are in things called EV tolls which stands for electric vertical takeoff and landing, um, which is a type of aircraft. Um, they're in consumer devices. Uh, they're in e-bikes, e-motorcycles, all kinds of e-mobility, um, and really going to be the future of electric mobility. Yeah, yeah. And the power behind it. So this summer when we were doing our family vacation, I got to ride my first ever e-bike, which I, I'm, I'm late to the game, but like to, to, to see the... Um, performance uh of, of a battery on an e-bike for how much how long you can ride was enlightening to me and exciting and um this technology i know came from a very interesting very unique uh, historical place so oak ridge national lab which is is one of my all-time favorite places to, to to visit it's for those of you that haven't been there it's this little pocket up on a, a tennessee uh mountainside with some of the most brilliant researchers in the world you know big connectivity to the manhattan project they still have one of the uh, walk around uh, museum for one of the first uh, functional nuclear reactors. Um, did you get to go in the? Did you go? Do you ever do the tour? They don't really do tours. It's a it's a it's a working laboratory. But but we we're honored to be partner. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So so it, it, it's definitely they have their they have their secret stuff going on. Yeah. So when you look back at the process, so we mentioned okay. 2020 was when you entered our cohort. What did you notice about the tech when we, when we kind of, because for, for us, obviously, FedTech scouts the tech, we bring it to the entrepreneurs like yourself. What made you attracted to this? And then what was that experience like going through and, and building a business model around something at the time that was, was just an invention? Yeah, great question. So I was almost an accidental FedTech founder. I was, I was here in DC. I was coaching, mentoring, advising startups in the area. Um, and I really wanted to dig in with a company. So I was on LinkedIn looking for roles and I saw, I guess, a member of your team posted about FedTech and it was, uh, it was an easy apply button. We love the easy apply here. Yeah. One click. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was an actual paying job. 
And then I got a, had a call with one of your team members and they explained the startup studio. It was actually not a, a, a paying job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought it was a really interesting opportunity. Did it anyway. And I'm, I'm very glad that I did. So got into the program and, um, you know, you get an Excel spreadsheet of all the technologies that you guys have, have curated that, that labs and agencies have submitted to you. And the battery one stood out uh, far and away. And the reason it stood out to me was, was two reasons. One, I thought it was the closest technology to commercialization that I saw on that list, hmm. number one. Not just in terms of time, but but also in terms of technology readiness. So that was number one. But number two, it just ignited a passion in me that this technology needed to be out in the marketplace. It held out the promise, and it still does today, of uh, being able to save lives and prevent people from being injured in EV crashes. And so I just felt a real passion. One of my personal passions has always been people. And so this really connected to one of my core, core passions, saving lives, improving lives of people has always been a big deal. And so I got really excited. Had you had any experience with batteries up until that? Just using them. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. None, none at all. I had no experience. What One of the benefits that you guys provided was access to the inventor. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, for the, and so it was... In that startup studio in 2020, it was myself, uh, one, a mentor, two other team members, and the inventor were, were on that in, initial team. And I still remember the first uh, Zoom meeting. It was all in Zoom because we all know what happened in February, March of 2020. Which, so it, which we, I was joking to Mike earlier that like that was our first virtual, fully virtual cohort. Obviously, not not by by choice, but necessity and. Uh, obviously worked out okay, at least for one of our, our companies. <laughs> yeah, you, you and your team did this a fantastic job of putting that 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 program on on the fly. Oh yeah, figure out how to do it virtual on the fly. But I still remember the first Zoom call we had with the inventor. He said, "What do you know about batteries?" And all of us said nothing. And so we spent two hours with him, and and he was generous enough with his time just to give us a a battery one hundred and one just teaching us about batteries. And so that's, that's, that's where it all started. Well, it makes me most proud to come in and get to do this work every day. It's, it's, it's that, you know, process, right. Of like, we're, we're bringing together groups of folks, whether an inventor is going to be equally excited to meet, you know, entrepreneurs that might be able to make his invention uh, real ultimately as, as, as you are to, to kind of jump in and that learning process and is, um, is really why we do, yeah, what we do and, and sort of the, the neatness, uh, when, what was the journey in the programs? I know we're going back a, a few years. Like, what did you learn? How did the interactions with the inventor and the team evolve during the program itself? The primary focus of the program was customer discovery. And so we talked to, I forget the exact number, but it, it's somewhere in the order of 120, 150 wow. people out in the industry over six to eight weeks and just asking the question, hey, what are the problems with lithium iron batteries? And once we got through that part of the conversation, introduced our technology and said, hey, do you think this might have some legs? It, might this be a benefit? Um, and the answer was resoundingly yes. After the FedTech program was over, we all as a team had a, had a meeting and said, you know, we should start a company. So we started a company um, and... Our mentor, the inventor, are still with us. Two of the other team members stepped aside for personal reasons early on in the process. So for the next two and a half years, um, it was me, the inventor, and our mentor uh, just 
trying to figure out a path to commercialize huh. this technology. Your current co-founder, when did he come into the picture? So my current co-founder, John Lee, came in, um, we started having conversations January of 2022. Um, and that was a real key event uh, for us as a company. So when, when John, through just through conversations with John, he decided to join me as a co-founder. Wow, neat. Okay, wonderful. Um, and obviously, you've had some really neat milestones happen since that creation of the company. Um, I know there's some some big news just on the funding front recently. Yeah, tell us kind of what how, how um, you've kind of used different types of funding for different phases of development for the product. Yeah, yeah, great question. So for the first 30 months, so from February of 2020 to August of 2022, uh, it was all just self-funded, bootstrapped. Um, and there were some very beneficial foundational things that happened. Uh, during those 30, 30 months, uh, one is um, we successfully negotiated a license with the government, uh, with Oak Ridge National Lab, called an R&D license, which uh, gave us permission to do R&D on, on, the, on the technology. More importantly, it gave us something to hang our hat on when I started talking to investors. Simpler terms, right? Less capital expenditure. Then there, there's a lot of flavors of licensing agreements, and R and D would be a little, little faster, hopefully, to to get to market. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a couple thousand dollars. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for, for that R and D license, um, non exclusive, of course, at that point. But just it, it was just one of those milestones that was important for us as a company. And then for the next, it was quite some time talking to investors. With the main question being, what would it take to get this company to be investable? What was the answer that you got most often? Answer most often was you're going to need more than an R&D license. You're going to need an exclusive commercial. Okay. In the lab. Huh. And so I spent many, many months and we successfully negotiated an exclusive commercial license from the lab. Uh, and that was a major turning point for the company because that meant, okay, if all these investors were right and they were, we're now potentially investable or at least more investable than we were yeah, yeah, yeah. without it. And then uh, in January 2020, started talking to John, uh, my co-founder. John, former naval contracting officer, um, then went to Palantir, um, went to another company called Improbable out of the UK. Uh, then became a VC, and and John is just so much better at business development, sales, fundraising, has better networks in that area, more experience also in government contracting than I did. So when he signed on, that was another big important step for us sure. uh, in the development of the company. So after he um, signed up on board, we had the commercial license. Um, we decided to raise our seed round. And I wrote the date down. It was August 17th, 2022. We got our first check uh, from our anchor investor, which was Matt Venture Capital out of Los Angeles um, and also Forward Deployed Venture Capital um, were our quote unquote leads uh, for, for that round. Well, what was that process? Like, there's often, I think, what, what can be a bit of a misperception, right? Whether early stage VC is, is not going to be as interested in things like, you know, capital intensive battery development, you know, that type, those types of technologies that are early stage. How did you go about sort of finding the right investors and, and selling them on the vision for the firm? Yeah, it, it was all relationships. 
all networking. So my co-founder, John, already had a good network of uh, relationships with investors, not only through his former work with Palantir, but also through his work as a VC. We found that um, through, through those networks, um, didn't have a lot of difficult getting difficulty getting to investors. And we just found a, a great uh, response at Mac Venture Capital. Um, just very excited about uh, what we were doing. Um, and, you know, they maintained, a, they, they still are just a fen- phenomenal partner for us in this process. We raised that seed round, uh, which was able to provide bandwidth for us to hire our core team. And so we hired up that core team last year. How many folks and, and what, what skill sets did you look at? Because that's obviously those first people are, that's the make or break it moment, right? You know, yeah. uh, who, who, uh, how'd you find the right people? Yeah, we, we've just been unbelievably fortunate of hiring. I, you know, I, I know a lot of people say I have the best team, but we do have the best team. <laughs> uh, we really do. Um, everybody that we've hired has been better. I'll just speak for myself, better at me better than I am, um, and more talented, which is always a good start. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it started off with, with myself and then, and then John came on as a late stage co-founder. Um, the third hire was a chief of staff to keep us organized. Okay. Um, our fourth hire, as I recall, was our director of product. Okay. Um, and then from there we started hiring some battery engineers and a director of engineering. Um, and so right now we're at six. I just hired a seventh who's a battery scientist, which will get us to, um, and, and into our series a, we're in the late stages of raising our series a right now. And then once we raise our series a, I think our hiring plan has us going from the seven to about 27 or 30. Okay. Interesting. Mostly on building up the, the, the science team. Where, where's the engineering happening now actually, or. Yeah, so we we have um, a, a main site at Oak Ridge National Lab, okay, in Tennessee. So we signed an agreement with them called an SPP, which um, allows us to work in partnership with them on on R and D and prototyping projects. And so we we're we're there on site in the lab, working with the scientists down there, um, taking our technology from what we call Gen One to Gen Gen Two, but also um, delivering on uh, two of our Air Force contracts. So in February of this year, uh, we won two direct-to-phase cyber uh, projects, uh, Air Force projects. And so we're, we're currently actively delivering on on those. When just even to, to, to yeah, share, yeah. like um, the direct-to-phase two uh, SBIR program is just such a neat opportunity. So for those that haven't heard of this, it, it's for certain agencies, They'll give, give you the ability to write one proposal that would be, you know, usually uh, is it up occasionally up to a million dollars of, of funding, sometimes a little, little more, sometimes a little, little less. Um, but you don't have to go through the time and uh, of, of doing the phase one proposal, execution of the project, right? And then you get to the bigger money more quickly, which for obviously for startups is a good thing. So, right. Was that your experience? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one thing that the direct to phase two, and the phase two require that the phase one does not is a signature from somebody in the government that you're, that they're going to be a customer. Okay. Sure. So if you don't have that signature, you apply for the phase one and the purpose of the phase one is to find that customer signature to get you to the next stage. So the customer discovery really 
pays, right? Because that's who I, I imagine you found that that government partner uh, through that process, right? Yeah. So you know, if you do have the customer signature, you apply for a direct phase too. Okay. You're you're ready uh, at that point. So we were very fortunate not to win just one, but to win two of those Air Force contracts. To round out our team, we we have we do have an engineer um, in Los Angeles who is integrating the battery cells that are de- developed in Eastern Tennessee and through some of our third-party partners into end uses. Okay. Because nobody just buys a battery to buy a battery. They're always putting it in something. Under those two Air Force contracts, we're delivering four prototypes, two under each contract. So in the first one, uh, we're putting our batteries inside of an e-motorcycle. The second prototype is we're putting our batteries inside uh, of a vest that a warfighter would wear. Okay. Uh, replacing some of those plates with bulletproof oh, batteries um, that are formed correctly. The third prototype is to integrate our batteries into um, a robot dog. Okay, nice. And then the fourth prototype is to integrate our batteries inside of a uh, rapidly deployable sensor tower. Okay. Like even just um, treating me like the the battery novice I am, like, like so what, what are the technical challenges? Those are four different foreign vectors. What makes that hard? Yeah, I realized we, we need to talk about the technology for a second. Yeah, to please. Sapphire technology and actually how it works. So to explain how Sapphire works... There's a chemical principle uh, called non-Newtonian fluids. Um, and the the one that most people are going to be familiar with, if at all, I was not when I started this startup studio in February of 2020, but the most common, uh, commonly known non-Newtonian fluid is a mixture of cornstarch and water. Okay. When, and what makes it a non-Newtonian? You can do this in your kitchen um, and... A lot, a lot of uh, kids go through this in 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 school in in chemistry class. Is you mix cornstarch and water in the right proportions, it is a liquid under normal circumstances. But as soon as you go tap it or hit it with something, it instantaneously becomes a solid. Really? Okay, I'll have to try. I'll, I'll try this tonight. Yeah, <laughs> with my, 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 I have a very excited six year old that will be excited to try the. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, this is a great a great thing to do at home. And um, so actually, uh, you know, our inventor was doing this with his kids and said, okay, why can't I use this same chemical principle inside the liquid portion of a lithium ion battery? So liquid under a normal circumstance, but when it involved, when, when it encounters some sort of impact, it instantaneously becomes a solid. And then a couple seconds later, it reverts back to a liquid. So... That's called a non-Newtonian fluid that has those characteristics. And the, the response that happens, that liquid solid response, is called the shear thickening response. Is there a simple way to understand sort of what on a, on a particle level is happening? On a simple level, what happens is the, the particles are oriented in a specific way that they come together at the moment of impact and form a solid barrier. And then b- because of the way that they're formed and that the, the way that they interact, I'm speaking as a non-chemist right now, they go back to the way that they were in the liquid. Okay, gotcha, okay. It's a, it's a physical reaction that happens among the, 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 the particles that are in solution. And so when the 
So take this in the cell, for example, when the battery encounters an impact, that would, and it, it, it shear thickens and instantaneously shuts off the battery because the, the, the ions cannot flow through solid. And so when there's no energy going through the battery, there's no opportunity for a crash or explosion. And it also happens, oh, by the way, that that, that solid has ballistic protection and structural characteristics. And a couple seconds later, you remove the impact. It can go back to uh, a, a liquid. So obviously, I didn't know any of this stuff when I started. The startups seemed to be incredibly cool. And <laughs> I just thought it was incredibly cool, too. I'm like, I don't, how did you guys come up with this? Uh, very smart people. Have you guys been able to run it? I, mean, I, I love the idea, right? Like sensors built into fabrics and all of this is a huge. So the idea that you could have the battery powering those, those electronics be ballistic uh, protection also really interesting. Have you gotten the chance to test that yet? Or is that, is that kind of going to get done or under the, the phase two? Yeah. So we, we, we've done testing on the cells and, and so did the lab even before we came along. Uh, so the technology has been peer reviewed, been demonstrated in the lab. Um, it's patented. And so where we are as a company is we're now taking this demonstrated technology, integrated it integrating it into end uses uh, and then testing those end uses. Well, and which of it, so you mentioned, okay, so there's, there's kind of four demonstrations. I'm interested to hear about all of them, but which like, just from a business perspective, which of where, where's the biggest market? Like, cause I, I could imagine obviously like anything related to EVs is going to be, yeah. you know, hu huge commercial. Yeah. EVs is by far, at least currently the, the largest market. Um, but then there are other markets as well. I, I think of electric mobility in general being a huge market. And, and in there you have subcategories. You have EVs, EV tolls, the electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. You have e-bikes. You even got electric boats as sure. well. Um, and then in another category, you've got all those applications that require some sort of ballistic protection component. Um, and there is some overlap. Um, because in the ballistic protection component category, where you have some structural fortification as a result of the shear thickening response of the battery, there are some structural benefits over even in the electric mobility applications as well. And we're currently exploring some um, some partnerships and, and some design options regarding structural fortifications within some EVs, EV tolls, e-bikes, e-motorcycles, et cetera. Well, and obviously the, the big EV, you know, like the, the elf in the room, um, with, is this something like that Tesla would be interested in, or is that, is that a, a future, uh, uh, buyer potentially? Yeah. Any, any EV manufacturer, uh, is going to be uh, a potential uh, customer. We're in conversations with them. And, um, but as you know, they have a long sales cycle. Sure. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, and so. We're in a fortunate position right now that um, the, the government work is is providing revenue for the company in addition to our investors to to get to that sales uh, with an automotive OEM, which uh, is we anticipate happening within the next two or three years. You're threading a very interesting needle that a lot of our entrepreneurs struggle to, to thread, and I'll, I'll describe it. I mean, we're being able to leverage you know the best of government funding, right? Um, and, and, and honestly, two, two direct to phase twos from the Air Force going after it's very competitive, but you got it. And that's like, that's some of the best of the non-dilutive funding that, that exists out there, which is awesome. Doing that in a way that's synergistic with 
raising sophisticated private capital. Um, not easy to do those two together. How do, how do you think about that? I mean, what have you learned about, because that's, again, you're threading a needle uh, and you got to keep both parties happy uh, simultaneously. Yeah, well, well, one is is choosing your investors widely, wisely. Uh, and there are a lot of great investors out there that understand the government commercialization piece. Uh, and so we've been very fortunate to 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 have relationships with a lot of a lot of them. But then also, you know, on the on the government side, just understanding that um, you can do all of this customer discovery and people can say, yeah, this is great. I love this. I would want this. But until someone comes, until someone comes and says, "Not only do I want this, but I will pay for this," you don't really have the validation that you need. And so, when we won those two direct to face two sippers in February, you know, I said, "Okay, we've got a company now because we have a customer, a very good customer, that not only wants our technology and sees four use cases for it, but also is willing to pay us to deliver prototypes." I love that, that even the way you describe that, the, uh, the going from startup to, we have a company here that is like, it's a classic moment, right? Cause it's in some ways it's, um, it's easier to do a startup than it is to have that actually turn into something that there's a, a real signal from a market. So bravo. Yeah. Uh, you're obviously impressive background, lots of different stops on the journey, but first time founder, we sometimes see when a founder is in that first venture maybe going oftentimes, you know, we see great people that will leave large organizations that have lots of structure to starting your own company, right? You have to create that structure. How do you operate? You know, how do you stay motivated? How do you set, you know, goals that move the, the needle forward? Um, how do you do that? How do you spend your week usually? That is a great question. And, and the best answer I've got is it changes almost every day as, as the company evolves and as the, as the needs evolve. So for example, early on, it was talking to investors and figuring out, okay, strategically, what do we need to do to make this company investable? Because um, if we don't make it investable, we don't get to commercialize. We don't commercialize. This technology doesn't go into any applications where it needs to be. So once the company became investable, it's okay. Now, how do we raise the money that we need to raise? How much do we need to raise from whom? And then once you raise the money, how do we use it just to get to the very next step? And the very next step for me is not always clear until you accomplish the prior step. Sure. So right now, most of my job is spent with the team because the most important thing we have right now are the people. And that's the next step for us is to be able to get the, the team who is phenomenal. And describe that early part of your journey, the most important thing would be the you would probably say with the the customer and the the the, the capital, right? Like, like what, what when you when you think about the focus shifting to more of an internal, what what what's driving that? Well, that's just me. So so part of that is my co-founder John, who is taking the lead on raising the Series A, right? So John's taking the lead on that. That for it frees me up to develop the team. I'm a firm believer that I've hired people that are more talented than me in a lot of different areas. Let's give them everything that they need in order to do what they're great at. And so that that's part of my job right now is, is to provide them the resources, the encouragement, the direction um, that they that they need to accomplish their goals. 
Yeah, and what yet what you guys are gonna see that I, I I think is interesting is there's these kind of step functions that we've at least for Fed FedTech we found happened to us where you're you're in a really fun list. You mentioned so six people, soon to be seven. That's that's an awesome fun time where you know you, you got you got a small group, everybody's really invested. I think for us it was hitting hitting fifteen. Things change, right? The way you have to communicate changes. Our, our big kind of change was around 25 people. And there's even an article that I, I can send you that was interesting. It's like, it says, why does everything break at 25 staff members? And it, and it, it, do, it does. It's like the whole nature of the, you know, the way you communicate and the way that you manage changes. The, the, the need for strong leaders is more apparent than ever. Um, and you see these interesting step functions. And, and the cool thing is, is that you can always catch up right and and you, you have some pain each time you get to one of the hilltops and then you know start to slide down a little bit but then you go right back up when you figure out so so one advantage that that i i bring to the table um, regarding those step functions is i have experienced those step functions in the life of a church where i used to live so there is a similar phenomenon in churches related to how many people attend huh. your church so i i forget the exact numbers let's say it's there's a difference in a church between 50, 200, 500, 1,000, and 10,000. Huh, okay. There's a different leadership structure that has to be in place. What's an example of something that would be like kind of different between the, the two levels? Yeah, so let, let's take the extremes for a second. At, at 50, your, your pastor knows every single person in the church by name. You get to 10,000, that's just absolutely impossible. So how do you, how do you bridge that gap in a way that people feel cared for and connected to somebody who cares for them in such a way that it's impossible for one person to do that. Sure. They're very similar to the step function. So my experience doing that really plays well into thinking strategically about the next phase of growth for our company and doing what we can do today to make sure we're set up as well as we can for that next phase. Got to wreck my memory here. You are the first pastor turned founder that I've, I've, I've met, I, I think, to my knowledge. It would not surprise me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great. It's, it's wonderful. And like, so what are there, are there other things that you notice come into your kind of approach as a manager and as a leader that you find is, are kind of coming from that, the, the previous work that you did as a pastor? Yeah, absolutely. And um, thanks for asking. So by far the most important is just my, my interest in helping people grow. Uh, as a pastor, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure people were getting their sweet spot. They really felt alive. They were, they felt passionate and excited. We're contributing something meaningful out to society on a day to day basis, and also in a sustainable way. And so I bring that into now the commercial world, but I still have the same the same values. I want to make sure our team is is happy, excited, passionate, in the right seat on the bus. Feel like they're contributing to something good out in society. And so that's, that's definitely one thing that I have brought over from, from the ministry world into the business world. It's my own personal belief that those two don't necessarily have to be separated by a giant brick wall, that they can act uh, symbiotically and that I'm trying to demonstrate that they can be the exact same thing if done the right way and from the right motivation. I like that a lot. Um, well, last thing I know, I know we're running short on time here, but last thing I wanted to ask you was just, um, so if you, if you mentally go back to that moment, you know, where you're about to meet your inventor for the first time, um, that obviously has changed the direction in your life and your colleagues, you know, right. That, that, which is, is what we love to see. 
what advice would you give to a, a, a FedTech participant, you know, in a startup studio that is about to start that journey, you know, first inventor meeting, and then obviously all the stuff that happens after, what would you tell that person? Yeah, that's a great question, Ben. Three things. So, so there's the typical stuff about, oh, focus on customer discovery, you know, make sure you have product market fit, you know, people can get that elsewhere. Um, three things that may not be as typically heard. So one, it's probably going to take a lot longer than you think it's going to take. So for me, February, 2020 to August, 2020, is that 30 months before? Oh, before you were able to get before three, three, Yeah, yeah. So I would advise founders have some financial margin. Don't quit the day job. You know, yeah. that, that kind of stuff. So it's going to take, it's probably going to take longer than you think. That'd be number one. Number two, as part of the process, you better be resilient or you better discover some resilience in you. I think resilience is, is tied to passion and something you really care about because being a, a, a startup founder is you just get, get beat up every single day day after day by problems and challenges and if you're not passionate about it you're going to give up but if you are aka you're resilient you're going to push through so question your resilience and, and focus on that and then the third thing i would say is commit to a process of gratitude each and every day <laughs> and the reason i say that is it's much easier as a founder or it's much more natural as a founder to worry about the things that you don't have. And when you're doing that, you fail to be thankful for the things that you do. And it's, and it's one of my beliefs out there. You can call it spiritual or natural. It's that we have everything that we want in unlimited supply right now to accomplish what we need to do right now. And it's easy to lose sight of that fact if you're worried about what you don't have. It's easy to fall into the trap of lack hmm. as, a, as a startup founder. So, well, number one, it's going to take longer than you think it's going to take. Number two, be resilient, which is tied to passion. And number three, commit to a practice of gratitude each and every day, whether you feel like it or not. Just, and that's what practice means, is whether you <laughs> feel like it or not, I'm going to choose to be grateful for the things that I do have today. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of the, the non-typical advice that I would give founders that are just out. It's, it's, it's advice that could, uh, it works for life also, right? It, 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 you know, it probably does. I, I, and, as well as business, but you guys, uh, it sounds like have a lot to be, uh, you know, a lot of good stuff to focus on. We're proud of you, grateful for uh, your time. And then this was a lot of fun, Mike. Very special to also be in person for this again. Thank you for coming into the, the FedTech headquarters here. Yeah. Thanks so, for, uh, thanks for inviting me, Ben. Good to meet you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, look up Sapphire and, um, we'll talk to you soon.